John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the new sex comedy from the writers of Vacation and the woman behind Pitch Perfect, Blockers, the latest horror movie from uh, the Office alumnus John Krasinski, A Quiet Place, the uh, biopic based on Ted Kennedy's incident at Chappaquiddick Island, Chappaquiddick, and the inspirational true story of the Iowa City West High School volleyball team's comeback after losing their star player, The Miracle Season. Let's get started. Our girls are not thinking things through. I'm going to stop them. I'm in. I'm fully planning on having sex tonight. Wherever the night takes us. The night's gonna take us there. Wherever the wind sails our ships. Your ship is going into my harbor. <laughs> They're getting away. WWVVD. What would Vin Diesel do? Hey, Fast and the Furious is completely unrealistic. It's not a documentary. I get that. <laughs> Anything for my daughter. What about a chugging contest? Bring it. Not that kind of chugging. They got a lager or an IPA. It doesn't doesn't matter. I'll get into my issues with sex comedies as a genre in the discussion portion, but needless to say, based on my issues with them and the trailers we got ahead of time, I was not expecting good things to come out of Blockers. And yet I ended up fairly surprised. Um, like I said, this is from the writers of the Vacation reboot and the, and, the, and the woman who wrote on the Pitch Perfect sequels in her directorial debut. And um, yeah, it's uh, it did not inspire confidence because I cannot stand the Pitch Perfect series, as I've mentioned. And I thought the Vacation reboot was one of the worst movies to come out the year it was released. So the fact that the people behind it didn't make something that was un- completely unwatchable, that's good. That's progress for them. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's all right, but it, it's just not that great still. You know, it's 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 good, which is better than it being bad, which is what I was expecting. <laughs> Especially based on the advertising emphasizing the whole butt-chugging thing. And how how just out of touch John Cena and Leslie Mann and Ike Barinholtz are. That the the main sequences that they advertise the movie on they aren't the best. So if, I don't know why they went with those to advertise the movie, but whatever. Um, I will say this: uh, it's it's fairly progressive in terms of this genre. It's not that doesn't make it like like re, you know that doesn't make it better, but it does mean that there are signs of improvement. Because um, that's the whole thing is uh, the movie calls out the parents. The parents are in the wrong for wanting to prevent their children from having sex. And they are called out on it and they do it anyway because they're idiots. And um, even Ike Barinholtz, like his whole thing for wanting to stop his daughter is, I guess, noble. But it feels noble from a straight person's point of view because it's still pretty weird and convoluted i'll say that without giving too much away but yeah they met you know they're very open about you know uh, homosexuality like like there's a whole subplot about one of the characters being gay and it's it you know it's it's trying it is trying but at the same time it's 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 a bunch of idiots trying to be progressive so i mean you're still you, you still got those issues to deal with um 
Uh, yeah, like 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 the trailer mentioned, the, the idea is that these girls form a sex pact on prom night to lose their virginity. Once again, we're still talking about virginity as though it's a viable concept and not something we made up in the Victorian era to give women more value, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I also, but uh, you know, for the most part, it, it, it is better than what the trailers were showing us. So I mean, I'll give it that, but it's not like the best out there either. <laughs> It's a perfect, perfect rating from Metacritic. 69. Nice. But, uh, you know, well, that's the other thing, too, is that um, John Cena, you may have noticed John Cena's daughter is of Indian descent. And that's because he is in a, uh, uh, bi- he's in a, uh, what's the term? Um, yeah, the daughter's biracial, and he is in a mixed relationship with, a, with an Indian woman played by, what the hell, Gina Grishan was in this. Oh, hey, June Diane Raphael was in here, too. I, didn't, I missed her. Oh, I know where Gina Gershon showed up. She has a bit with, uh, with um, character actor Gary Cole as one of the parents. And uh, uh, Gary Cole, you might remember, from Office Space as Bill Lumberg. And uh, he's, he's also one of the announcers. He was Cotton, the announcer for um, Dodgeball. So you'll recognize him, but he he has a funny bit here in here. Although it gets a bit a bit it gets it gets pretty bad the longer he's in there. But um, if I can find is it is it her Sarayu Sarayu Blue? I think this is her. Hold on, let me go to the wiki page. The IMDb is very poorly laid out in terms of the characters. But for the yeah, he's in a mixed relationship, uh, and his daughter is biracial. And the daughter—that's the other thing—is that all the daughters are really funny. Um, let me get where is she? That that was that was who June Diane was. Apparently, June Diane Raphael was um, Ike Barinholtz's ex-wife. I did not recognize her at all. She looked more like um, uh, Wendy McClendon from Reno 911 a bit. Like if she looked more like, let me hold on. I mean, because I didn't recognize her at all. Oh, I guess that is. I guess that's her, huh? I guess I'm not. I'm still not used to June as a blonde. June as a brunette. I'm, I'm all. I'm still used to June as a brunette. So yeah, she's. She yeah, she's and she's fun. She's not utilized. Her and uh, Hannibal Burris feel like they were wasted. Here we go. Uh, that was her. Sarayu Blue, who is a recurring role on Sons of Tucson, and something called Monday Mornings on TNT. Um. Been on Bones, Big Bang Theory, Hawthorne, NCIS, Los Angeles, Two and a Half Men. So she's oh, she was even in um, Lions for Lambs as uh, I think look Robin Re- Robert Redford's uh, character's receptionist. No, that's somebody else. So, but she was in there. So I mean, she's she's been in it now. But this is her first like it seems like her first real major film role. It seems like most of her stuff has been uh, TV work. But she's funny in this uh, as John Cena's wife. Um, and once again, all the girls are funny. Uh, Geraldine Viswanathan, yeah, I think Viswanathan plays uh, John Cena's daughter, and she is like they're all kind of like 
That's the whole thing is that the sex pact is like a bunch of dorky girls who have no idea what they're talking about. So like, like there's a whole scene. There's a there's a scene early on when they're making the pact where like um, uh, the one girl with the glasses, uh, uh, Ike Barinholtz's daughter, is like really like quiet and reserved and not and feels left out by the sex pact. And uh, meanwhile. Um, Geraldine's character is like, we're gonna get high on, we're gonna get potted up on marijuana and say, wow, you kids like don't know anything. You're just not a clue. But like, apparently, this um, Catherine Newton, the the blonde Leslie Mann's daughter, was in Paranormal Activity four. Um, she had a Young Artist Award for that. Uh, she was in Supernatural. As uh, the older version of Claire Novak, Gary unmarried on CBS, so she's been she's going to be in the T- Detective Pikachu movie, and she was al- she was also the daughter who gets killed in Three Billboards. It looks like, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's her. Hold on, Mildred Hayes, Angela Hayes, yeah. So she was the daughter who gets killed in uh, Three Billboards. So she's been around. She's been she, apparently she's also in Lady Bird. So. She's been, she's kind of on the rise, and uh, she's great in this. It's like this dorky girl. They're all kind of dorky in their own way, and, and like um, the like Baron Holtz's daughter, played by Gideon Adlin. Wait a minute! Oh my god, are you kidding me? Okay, so I just found this out. Um, I just realized that uh, the daughter. Of Ike, Ike Barinholtz's daughter, the nerdy girl, the one who's in the one with the glasses, who's into the Lord of the Rings and all, all kinds of fantasy stuff, is played by Pamela Adlon's daughter. N- yet, not, not even just I just found this out. I, I I saw the name and it's like okay, that's that's cool. But then I looked at and then I went to her um on her wiki goes to her mom's wiki. Her, her, the link on the blockers Wikipedia page takes Gideon Gideon's name directs to Pamela's Wikipedia page, so it's so it's Pamela Adlons who you would who you remember as um, let's see does it say when she was doesn't say anything about when she was born when she started but you will know her mom as a prominent voice actress. Mainly for Bobby Hill. Uh, she was on Louie for the longest time as the love interest. She is on... What's the thing she's on now? She's on... Uh, she's in Milo Murphy's Law, Bob's Burgers, Big Bang Theory, Better Things, Uncle Grandpa, Trip Tank. She's a voice actress, but at the same time, she's she's... In all kind, you know, she's all over the place. Where's Californication? What's the one she was nominated for at the Emmys? Was it Better Things? I think it was Better Things. That's the one uh, she created, co-created with Louis C.K. Um, Pound Puppies, Out There, Thundercats, Beavis and Butthead, My... Mongo Wrestling Alliance, King of the Hill, Bobby Hill, King of the Hill. But yeah, Californication, uh, Lucky, she was the, she was the wife of Lucky Louie, his old sitcom. 
she, yeah, she's been a, a Spinelli on recess. This auto auto the, the kid on Time Squad. Uh, Pamela Adlon has been a voice actress and an actress for years, and she's only recently kind of become more mainstream and like more recognized. And that's her daughter in Blockers. I did not catch that at all. Uh, but they, you know, it's good. That's a good pedigree to have as Pamela Adlon's kid. Um, so yeah, the daughter, but the daughters are the ones I would watch for because they're hilarious in this and they, and I can only expect better things from them as long as I get better scripts under them. But yeah, uh, so you've got some solid, uh, supporting cast here. Even the main leads are fine for the most part. Like they're, you know, like Ike Barinholtz is usually, um, terrible, but he's not, he's not so bad here. He's not as bad as he, as he can be in things like, like, like he was in Suicide Squad, or what was that other really stupid thing he was in? Um, God, he was in Disaster Movie. Bright! God, he was awful in Bright. Um, so yeah, he, he's fine here. John Cena's really funny here, uh, for the most part. He's, he shows why he has the charisma he has. And then Leslie Mann's okay, but Leslie Mann has a really bad arc. Like, her arc is the weakest out of all of them because it feels so cliched. Like, oh, the mom thinks she's best friends with the daughter and she's afraid to let go. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great writing. Like, that's the main problem with it is that it's very sitcom-level writing again. And that's kind of been a mainstay of sex comedies in general. Is they're very farcical. They're very mu- they're very sitcommy, and that's kind of to their detriment, I think. But yeah, overall, it's not near as bad as I expected it to be from the trailers. But it, it's still mired down by a lot of the genre tropes behind it. So even though it's got a lot of progressive ideals peppered in there, they're not part. Of the main plot, their seasoning, sadly, and that, it's only until we start to overcome that and make the make those aspects part of the main plot and advance the genre is when these movies are going to get really good again. I think uh, otherwise they're just going to be like relics of the past that people try to recreate. But yeah, blockers, it's not that bad, but it's it, it's uh, not exactly that great either. It's it, it's fine. It's good. It's good. Catching some wind of negative criticism going into this, someone uh, I'm in a group with called this like the worst horror movie released this year, maybe even ever. And I'm like, we saw entirely different movies then because what I saw was honestly one of the best horror movies I've seen because it's 
it actually genuinely thought out most of its stuff and explained a lot of the stuff and left mo- and what he didn't need explaining was left ambiguous. Um, yeah, like somebody. The other thing somebody pointed out was it doesn't understand how pregnancy works or childbirth, but and that's kind of understandable. I mean, you've got three dudes writing it, trying to write how trying to write a birth sequence. So yeah, it's not exactly from coming from experience. <laughs> Even if they are dads, they're not exact. I don't know how how familiar they are with the birthing process to understand some things. So, yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, that I'm willing to give give you know give that criticism. Yeah, that criticism has carries some weight to it. But otherwise, that's the thing. I I genuinely enjoyed this movie. This is this made it immediately to my favorite of the year list. Like first watch, just loved it. Uh, the premise here. If you haven't, if you didn't see the trailer or aren't familiar, is um, it's a post-apocalyptic story, so it's not like it's treading new ground. It's just what they do with the material that I'm a fan of, which I'll get into. So, yeah, post-apocalyptic. These creatures came from they think space, but it's never really explained full on. But you know, it's it's explained enough to uh, for you to understand how the creatures work. They hunt via sound, and they rely on pinpointing louder frequencies but if you make a low if you work on a low enough decibel level they will never find you so they have to be above a certain decibel level to really bring noise they established this early on and so the first they kind of spoiled the first the opening sequence uh which takes place early on but uh, in the trailer, so I won't give that away. But the just, but to say, but I'll just say that it's a really good sequence, and it ha- carries weight throughout the rest of the movie as well. And uh, it, it 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 takes place about four hundred and eighty two three days, I want to say, since the aliens made contact or the creatures became started make started appearing. And most of the population has been pared down to just those who've been able to live in utter silence or like as quiet as humanly possible. And it's John Krasinski and Emily Blunt with their kids, uh, one played one who is deaf and played by Millicent Simmons, I think is her name, who was just in another uh, who was played who was a deaf actress, young deaf actress who was just in the movie Wonderstruck, a uh, story of a young boy in the Midwest who is told uh, is told simultaneously with a tale of a young girl in New York from 50 years ago as they both seek the same mysterious connection. And that apparently Julianne Moore's in it, James Urbaniak. Uh, not recognizing any names under that, though. But uh, I haven't seen that one yet, but she, uh, they, may, they went out of their way to ensure that they cast a deaf actress in the role rather than going the route of casting an able-bodied actress and making her play deaf, so to speak. And and she and once again, all the actors are great in their in their performances. Emily Blunt gives good gives a great performance. Uh, John Krasinski is solid, although he's kind of uh, kind of left to be the stoic father figure. Um, Noah Jupe Jupe. J U P E. I don't reckon. I don't know how to say that last name. I'm assuming it's Jupe. He was the kid in Suburbicon, and he is also in the Night Manager on AMC. And he, apparently, he's in a new movie on Netflix called The Titan, which stars Sam Worthington of all people. Oh no, he's going to be in that Holmes and Watson movie, starring 
Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Who's Etan Cohen? Etan Cohen. Known for Men in Black 3, Madagascar Escape to Africa, and Idiocracy. Also a writer on Get Hard. So, although he did help write the screenplay for Tropic Thunder, too. So, it's all kind of hit and miss. He also wrote on King of the Hill. So, who knows? Who knows what with this guy? What, what did he direct? He directed Get Hard and a bunch of stuff with... He directed a short called Will My Wife is Retarded. So that's fantastic. So yeah, that's good th- good th- good stuff from him. Um but yeah, the kid back to the kid. He it, he does a great job playing the bro- playing this kind of put upon brother because he, he he's kind of the dad is kind of play kind of playing those gender roles of like he has to make the son strong and be able to take care of the family but meanwhile the daughter is just as capable if not more capable but he feel but but yeah it's it's a great dynamic that they build up and and uh so it it just it just leads to a point where things catch up to them and the creatures start and you know there's a scare early on and they know that the creatures are out there, and that's that's what freaks the sun out so much is that he doesn't want to leave because he knows those things are out there, and he has he knows that I don't want to be out there if they're out there. And he's I, the, the kids all good good performances, which is you know good to hear, good to see because I mean you could just as easily have terrible performances like kid. We're going to talk about some bad kid actors later on, but. This, I liked it. I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought Emily, like, aside from the, un, you know, the the not believable, the non-believability, unbelievability, whatever you call it, of the birth sequence, uh, which they do try to accommodate for, but at the same time, uh, yeah, yeah. If you have any familiarity with babies and and newborns and and neonatal stuff. Then, then, then you'll probably be able to call out where they didn't, where they didn't understand how something works. But for the most part, everything, everything was kind of, you know, it worked within the rules of its own universe. And they even established something with the with uh, Millicent Simmons' character, who's deaf and has uh, her. De- John Krasinski continually tries to modify hearing aids for her to hear, and and it's a point of contention between them because. Yo, it all she she kind of feels like he's coddling her and trying to make her normal, and he's like, I want, I want what's, I want to take care, I want to make sure she's good and taken care of, and I want what's best for her, and I love her, and it's it's a and uh, the and the and what he's been working on plays into the plot as well, and it's 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 a really well thought out uh, horror movie for the most part, you know, it's not per- like I'm not gonna call it perfect. Uh, but at the same time, I liked what they did with it. I liked their premise. I liked, I loved the creature design in here. I don't know, I don't think they gave them a name. Let me, uh, let me see what they call them. Go to the wiki page and maybe that'll tell us if they have, um, holy, hold on a second. Wait a tick. Oh my God! Him and Emily Blunt are actually married. I did not know that. Well, it makes their chemistry make more sense. It's like, hey, honey, do you want to be in my movie? Sure, honey. <laughs> um, 
predatory creatures. Doesn't look like it doesn't look like they have a name. It just looks like they're just cre- they're just creatures, but the design is is really cool and alien looking and the and the and they make sure never to uh show too much of them early on. You see bits and pieces. But when you see one in full, it's actually pretty solid CGI for the most part. Like you can, like you can tell it's not. You know, they hide it in some dark, and they do some great stuff with the like the bio design of the creature and how it opens up to its hearing. And it's all just whoever did the creature design on this should be doing all of the creature design on everything because it's beautiful. And uh, yeah, I would give the people those kind of the. Um, the criti- like the main critic that criticism about birthing, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That's pretty unbelievable if you know anything about uh, newborns and and giving birth. Uh, but but I don't think it takes away it does too much to take away from the rest of the movie. I don't understand uh, if you thought that this was a terrible movie. I don't see what you're talking about because I feel like everything was set up very well. Like. Oh, why do they let this kid... Kids are going to take stuff! Like, they, like the whole thing about the beginning, which is part of the trailer spoilage, like, the, a kid, one of their kids takes a, takes a toy that makes noise. Have you met a child? Do you not understand that that's what they do? This kid is a child. Of course he's going to make stupid decisions like that because he doesn't think about these things on a, on a logical level. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I, I don't understand the, I don't understand the idea that this would be, is, is bad writing or bad horror, because I feel like compared to what I've seen with Winchester and Insidious 4, that this is leaps and bounds better than what we've gotten all year. And the thing is, it came from Jim from The Office. So the best, like, arguably the best horror movies in the last two years came from one half of Key and Peele and Jim from The Office. If you had told me this two years ago, three years ago, that, oh, hey, Key and Peele, one of, part of Key and Peele is going to make an Oscar-winning horror movie, and then Jim from The Office is going to make one the next year, I'd be telling you, like, what are you, what, what are you smoking? Like, why would those guys go into horror? And here we, here we are. These guys are into horror, and they're actually pretty damn good at it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else. Uh, I know John Krasinski has done some other stuff. He directed, he wrote and directed something that was like an adaptation of a of a novel. Um, oh my god, he still got that Animal Crackers movie coming out. Um, what was it? Uh, brief interviews with hideous men. Uh, David Foster Wallace. Uh, and I've heard I heard mixed things to kind of negative things about that, so I don't know how, how well that is. But um, but yeah, I think this is a nice. This shown he's improved as a writer director. Um, I didn't see his other one, The Hollers, uh, which is Charlotte Copley, Charlie Day, Richard Jenkins, Anna Kendrick, Margot Martindale. Solid cast. I need to check this out. Um, as so, The Hollers. I need to check. So I need to. Look into this, but uh, yeah, uh, he see, John Krasinski seems to be only getting better uh, when it comes to uh, his directing, and I and I'm interested to see what he does next. And if you and if you like if you like solid horror, and 
want a, want a good scary movie? I say go for this one over something else. I mean, I mean, sometimes horror fans are into schlock. Like they prefer the schlock over the people who put good thought into stuff, and they'll like call bad writing, call good writing bad writing for some reason. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand why someone wouldn't would hate would hate this movie like actually hate this movie not say oh it's good but I didn't love it but genuinely hate this movie because that's the thing I completely understand if you didn't love this movie but acknowledged it was a solid movie that's fine that's that I, I yeah exactly it may not be up your alley but you agreed that people put thought into it and it was genuinely good. To call this bad calls makes me think, okay, your perception is in question now because what exactly is good to you? So, yeah, um, A Quiet Place. Overall, generally well-made horror film that puts more thought into its story than and universe than most of the others in this genre. Go check it out if you want. Sometimes the path you're on isn't always the path you choose. What's stopping you from making that choice yourself? I can't watch you do this, Ted. You watch, Joe. Self-destruct. Oh my God, what have I done? So we got two biopics coming up. Uh, first up is the uh, is the biodrama about the incident at Chappaquiddick, which, uh, if you aren't familiar with, uh, in the summer of 1969, I believe July 13th, uh, whatever that Friday was in 1969, uh, Ted Kennedy was meeting with the secretaries of his brother Bobby Kennedy's uh, uh, presidential campaign. And... And he was driving drunk with one of the secretaries in there in his car and ended up in and it ended up killing her in an accident where he drove off the drove off the bridge into the river off Chappaquiddick Island in Martha's Vineyard. And this movie talks more about how Ted Kennedy kind of basically worked around that incident and uh, manipulated it for his own benefit, essentially. This essentially is um, affluenza the motion picture because it's all about how Ted Kennedy basically got away with murder. That's this movie in a nutshell. And I'll, I will say it doesn't... Um, it kind of manipulates some of the facts. Like, it tries to portray uh, Joe Kennedy Sr., their father, as still mentally viable when in that point he had already suffered a stroke and was wheelchair bound and meanwhile they're trying to portray him as like this aging mafia don telling Ted Kennedy what to do and yeah yeah that that kind of I get why you do that uh dramatically but at the same time like trying to say like this uh, this mentally invalid man uh was the one pulling the strings is really pushing especially since he died four months later so he was right he was on death's doorstep at that point. So to say that he's the one trying to pull strings on Ted Kennedy's life at that point. Yeah, that's that's reaching. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's hard to say because for the most part, from what I can tell, 
the Kennedys have always kind of been narcissistic, you know, very politically minded. Like we we think we know what's best, even if they have good intentions. Like it tries to say, oh, here's all the good stuff Ted Kennedy did when he was still in Congress, and it's like, okay, but yeah, he's a douchebag who got away with murder. Like, are we just gonna like? It doesn't matter whether or not he was having an affair with the woman. It, he still got away with her murder and could have saved her. This movie even points that out. So how is he, and, and, the, and then the movie ends when it's when it's showing B roll from that time period of people in Boston saying, "Yeah, I think he did it, buddy. I still vote for the guy." Uh, that was a terrible Boston accent. I apologize to the good people of Boston for that butchering of your lovely accent. But yeah, like I wasn't aware of this. I knew that like the first time I heard about it. It was a robot chicken joke. They made a joke where Lindsay Lohan met with Ted Kennedy while he was still alive, like early, I think season two or three of Robot Chicken, and uh, th- and then they showed Ted Kennedy driving off a bridge, and, it's, and the subtitle is "Then this happened again." So it's kind of was like in the public consciousness, in the zeitgeist, that Ted Kennedy drove off a bridge and got a woman killed. But at the same time, I didn't know the story behind it, and this one tries to tell the story but at the same time we're dealing with all first timers like the director is uh the only thing i've heard him from him is the painted veil which was an old which was a drama that came out back when i used to work at hollywood video in high school uh Starring Naomi Watts and Edward Norton about uh, a, a physician who's going to China in the dur- during the cholera epidemic. And that's another one with a 69 on Metacritic. Nice. Uh, but that's the only thing I recognize from him. Like, the last thing he did before this was something called Tracks in 2013. Which was Mia Wasikowska and Adam Driver. A young woman goes on a 1,700-mile trek across the deserts of West Australia with four camels and her faithful dog. So I don't know what that's about. Not sure what that is. Um, and then something called Stone, which was Robert De Niro and Edward Norton. He seems to work with Edward Norton a bunch. Uh, convicted arsonist looks to manipulate a parole officer into a plan to secure his parole by placing his beautiful wife on the lawman, in the lawman's path. Okay, Mia Jovovich. Okay. Uh, yeah, so then that that's the guy. And then the writers of the movie uh, are two first-timers. Like, this is their first major motion picture. So, yeah, the movie's... Like, the movie's got a solid cast behind it. You've got Ted, uh, Ted Kennedy's played by Jason Clark, who tries his best to look the part and sound the part. Um, Ed Helms is his cousin. Uh, John... What is it? John Garum? John... Joe. It was Joe... Joe Gargan. Uh, his cousin Joe Gargan. Uh, Clancy Brown, uh, I mentioned. He is uh, he's kind of the head of the PR team that's trying to save Ted Kennedy's career. They, used, they worked with uh, his brother Jack uh, d- during his presidential administration. Um, Jim Gaffigan plays uh, the Attorney General of, Bo- of, Ma- of Massachusetts. And then... Um, yeah, and then Kate Mara is kind of in a throwaway. Like, I don't know if you need Kate Mara for this because she's barely in it. But uh, she plays the victim, Mary Jo Kopechny, 
And it's more the sad thing is it's all about Ted Kennedy and how oh woe is him how's he going to deal with this tragedy and like overcome it for his political career like this is this is why I called it affluenza the motion picture because it's all about how Ted Kennedy got away with murder by just apologizing and the people were like oh it's okay Ted we'll still vote for you like ah. Uh, uh. Like, why do we, why should I care that this guy got away with, like, even, Ed, like, I identify more, like, maybe that's the point, that Ted Kennedy is a dirtbag that got away with murder, I think, even though he wrestled with it and was pained by it, and, like, they try to run through points that, oh, it, this is still tying back into Bobby's assassination, that he fe- that he feels, you know, depressed that he lost both his brothers to assassins, but he still got away with murder! He got, if nothing else, he got away with, ne- you know, negligence and manslaughter, something. But, but yeah, it's, it's all about the strings that the Kennedy pulled. And if he wasn't a Kennedy, he would have easily been thrown in jail. But no, because he, he was part of one of the most influential political families in American history, he gets away with murder. So, I don't know if that's supposed to be the point. But even then, it's still not, like... Like I feel like I would be better off watching a documentary about this movie than watching tr- trying to watch it get recreated. Even though Bruce, I like to see Bruce Dern continue to get work in his old age. He's still good, but um, yeah, like Kate Mara's pretty wa- pretty wasted in this role. Like Jason Clark is doing his best, but I don't care about the character. I don't care about Ted Kennedy. I'm not from Boston. I've never been that hard line of a Democrat because I I I, I feel like his wing of the party is kind of weighing it down sadly even even the young even the young Kennedy in the Senate now isn't exactly a, a you know exactly um uh, a luminary by any stretch <laughs> I think it's a uh, Bobby Kennedy the third if that's in Congress yeah whatever the Kennedy is there he's not exactly stellar and he's still kind of weighed down by ju- by the more corporate end of the party but this isn't a political uh I'm I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I've I've had politics on the brain because I thought the uh, primaries were this week in Ohio, but it turns out they're not for another month. But yeah, um, yeah, I never cared much for Ted Kennedy. Like John and Bobby seemed more charismatic, but at the same time, the entire you could do it. Like they tried to do entire you know depictions of the Kennedy family and just how effed up they are, you know. But eh, eh, I don't know. I can't I can't take it too seriously, and it's, it's fine. Like that's the whole thing is that it's fine. It's a it's a decent drama, but I feel like it fits better on TV. Like I feel like this is a good TV movie than uh, something you would go to see in theaters, you know. And yeah, that's about it. Um, I don't. I think that's all I wanted to mention on it. Uh, affluenza was the big thing. Performances, liberties with the events. Yeah, overall, it's not a bad movie per se, but it, it just doesn't do enough to really be considered better than just average. So it's it's slightly above average. Like Metacritic has it at sixty seven over on IMDb, and I'm sli- and uh, and IMDb users rated it at six point eight. I'd rate it. Yeah, I rated it about a six out of ten. You know, two and a half out of five. That's about where I'd rate it. It's a- it's it's perfectly average, and uh, yeah. I guess that's what you can expect from these guys. So there you go. It's time to get the The improbable happened. The women of West started winning games. I told you to win for Caroline, but if we want to show how much we miss her, we should just play with joy.
volleyball win back-to-back state championships. You strong women, win this for yourselves. Before this movie, I would have never considered the, the use of the word line as a nickname for a person. And even now, after seeing it, I don't understand. How is this a nickname? Why would you call someone line? Like, the closest that I can guess is that in volleyball, there are references to lines, like the lines in the court. But... Why would you call, like, the girl's name is Caroline. Why don't you just call her Carol? Caroline, you don't, like, that's the whole thing, is that line is not something you would use for a name. Like, Robert into Bob, I get that. Maybe even Robert into Bert, I could under kind of understand. Um, but it's like saying, uh, what, what was the thing I said on Twitter? I was doing a... I was doing a uh, munch along for this because I couldn't even within the first. That's the thing. Within the first seconds, it made it look like Caroline found and her best friend Kelly, I think, uh, were in a relationship. Like they were like these were this is they were they were filmed hang like frolicking and being and almost if, if, if this led into them being in a same sex relationship, you would not be surprised at all. That's what this movie. That that's how out of that's how weird this movie is. That it opens that way. Let me pull up my munch along. Okay, here we go. What is the? Uh... Here, show the thread. We'll start at the top. Here we go. That's the second second thing I said. I've never heard that nickname before now. That's like calling Theodore Door. Hey, Door. <laughs> or um, what's, an, what's another good uh, analogy? It's like, it's like calling some, someone, someone calling Agatha Tha. It's like, hey, Tha. <laughs> or, um, yeah, just, I can't imagine, I still can't put my head around the name, the nickname Line from the name Caroline. Like, when I hear the name Caroline, I think, oh, nickname for that. Carol. Duh. Carrie. Carrie, maybe. Uh, uh, Carol- Corolla. Maybe, like, if she drives a Toyota. Uh, something like that. No. Line. We're gonna call her Line. <laughs> Such a stupid nickname. I hate to speak ill of the dead, but it is. It's a stupid nickname. I don't understand. I mean, maybe it's just the state of the Iowa educational system that they thought that was a good nickname. Maybe it's something in Iowa that they don't uh, that they are they're okay with people who go by line. It's like, what happens if she got into square dancing? Oh, she's over there. What? What's going on? Line dancing. Uh, I don't know. It's bad. It's just stupid. It's a stupid nickname. Anyway, this movie is brought to us by the director of Soul Surfer. And uh, half of the writing team is the guy who wrote um, Friday Night Lights. So, like, there's a guy with experience in writing sports movies, so it should be okay, but... Yep. Nah. Nah, man. Just, just, no. Nope. 
Uh, best performances in this whole thing come from Helen Hunt and William Hurt because they're good actors. Like everyone else in this movie, I've never heard of a single one of them. We've got Tierra Scovie. This cast list sounds like sounds like the names on a on a di- on a Russian dating on a Russian like dating site where you where you get where you try to buy an overseas bride or something. But apparently she was Robin in Once Upon a Time and Polly Cooper and on Riverdale. And apparently she's just in Midnight Sun as the not really um uh, uh love like ex-girlfriend slash like other love interest for uh Patrick Schwarzenegger's character. Um Danica Yarosh which once again just feels like a, you know it's, it's screaming out like Eastern Europe like we're talking like Eastern European names it's like they went to a it's like they went to watch one of those you know dating site one of those you know overseas bride sites it's like here you 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 we brought Bailey Skodje, uh Rebecca Stab S T A A B there's a good, here's a normal name Larissa Albuquerque. <laughs> um, and then Sean McNamara is in there in the background. Uh, yeah, just... we it's And that's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, it makes sense that these are all like Scandinavian and Eastern European women. Because they're all pretty blonde women. They all look alike. I can't tell us... It's, it's the same problem we had with Dunkirk. Where everyone looks exactly the same. How are we supposed to tell them apart? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like, hey, pretty white girl with blonde hair. And, like, all but three people raise their hands. Ugh. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is based on a true story. So, sort of, kind of, mostly, a little bit. And uh, apparently in 2011, um, uh, a senior volleyball player in Iowa City, in Iowa City, I guess, uh, uh, dies in a tragic accident. Um and apparently in real life acted like a hyperactive 10-year-old all the time. Seriously. Like, they try to make her out to be like this this iconic figure to, that we should... that Like, here's the thing. The actual Caroline found, her friends and family started a movement telling people to hashtag live like line. They want people to live like Caroline did and see her as an inspirational figure. All we saw in this movie was literally a hyperactive 10-year-old. Like, one of the early scenes of her in high school is her trying to stuff huge slices of pizza down... Two slices of pizza into her mouth at one time. Like, she's annoying and it feels like she never actually matured into a, a young adult. And she feels... She comes off like a child. She comes off like a, a toddler in a, in, in a young adult's body and... I don't get how that's inspirational. Like, because she's spontaneous, I guess that's inspirational. The movie does a terrible... I'm not saying this about the actual Caroline found. I'm saying this is what the movie presented me. This is what I'm supposed to find inspirational, is that she embarrasses her friends and uh, tries to eat pizza two at a slices at a time. Which, I, you know, I could see that. That's kind of inspirational, I guess. I could try that. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I, I don't get... The whole thing. Like, if she wasn't good at volleyball, she would just be a weirdo. You know? If she wasn't pretty and she wasn't good at volleyball, she would just be a weirdo. 
by this movie, by the way she's depicted in this movie. And yeah, she dies early on in the movie, and it's a tragic event. But like, this would make sense for a 30 for 30. I could see this working in a documentary style as a 30 for 30, telling the story. And then maybe going into the inspira- how she became inspirational as a figure in this, in this small town. Is Iowa City a small town? I have no idea. Hold on. Iowa City. Let's see. Uh, what's the population size? Like, what are we dealing with? Population 74,000. So, Akron has 700,000. So, it's pretty small. Like, I'm trying to think what around here would have under 100,000 people. Maybe one of the outer, out, more outlying rural cities. Maybe like a, like, what's a, what's Worcester half? Worcester, Ohio has population 24,000 to 26,000 by the 2010 census. So yeah, it's a little bit bigger than Worcester, Ohio, which to me is is a smaller town uh, local to me, understand. So yeah, Iowa City is under 100,000 people, but it's yeah, so it's not not really big. It's a but it's still kind of a small town. But yeah, just Mm. I, I what like that's the thing. This could work as a thirty for thirty. It could tell you how she became inspirational. This movie does not. This movie is more about how her friend took the position and felt guilty and talked to her dad about it. But her, we never really get the idea that they're they've been that close. Other than the fact, other than the montage that makes it look like these girls are going to fall in love at the very beginning. Like, I get they're prepubescent, but they literally filmed the opening sequence during the opening credits of this movie is two girls frolicking about, playing in the mud, and looking lovingly into each other's eyes. I swear to God, it feels like it's going, leading into a romance. That's how, what this, what, what? I'm, I, don't tell me I'm crazy. I, that's what I saw. That's how I, that's what that looks like to me using the language of film. Anyway, uh. Yeah, that it. I don't. This the story. If it wasn't literally every single underdog coming from behind storyline that every single sports movie seems to be about, then maybe I would find this inspirational. But like, I've seen this before. The underdog team comes from behind, forms a forms a strong bond, becomes better, becomes closer knit, and wins the championship. I've seen this before. It is, it is probably the exact same storyline from Friday Night Lights. If I, I haven't seen it. I wasn't reviewing movies when Friday Night Lights came out. But I'm assuming that's what the storyline is. Something to that degree. So, it's... Yeah, it is literally every single sports movie ever made. I, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't deviate from that. Like, the only thing it had going for it was that this Caroline girl became an inspiration to her town. And they don't show that. They don't show how Caroline somehow became inspirational. Maybe if this movie was actually about her and not about making her out to be this idol figure to be praised in this movement that they've created around her, maybe then it would make sense that they made the movie 
about her actual life, how she built up a reputation in the town, how she became, how she grew, made these close friends, and then in her death, they decided to try and show who she was to the rest of the world and make this movement to get to try and make a bet, try to and better people. But they don't. They don't do that. They don't do that. It's literally just another. Yet it's yet another. Guilt sports underdog movie, and it doesn't do anything besides that. And then it it like tries to cram in the live like line sentiment at the very end. Like we're supposed to, we're supposed to find her inspirational when she when she hasn't been a figure in the movie for the last hour. Like once she dies, the people talk about her and they feel sad that she died, and there's a negative impact on the volleyball team because of her death. But nobody tries to build up to this movement that they've since built around her. That's the other thing, too, I commented on. Is it wrong to try and make somebody's death inspirational? I'm not saying that it is. I'm asking the question, is it? Do you, do, do you think that it is wrong to take somebody's tragic death and you try to use that as inspiration for others? Because I felt offended for Caroline in this movie because they turned her into a slogan. They literally turned her light, her death into a slogan. Like, yeah, they try to, they're trying to make a statement about living your life to the fullest, but that only happened because she died. If she did not die, then they would not have turned her into a commodity to be sold on t-shirts and bumper stickers and made into a hashtag. See, that's the thing. I don't, I don't think that they're in there. Like, that's the whole thing. People love these intentions of trying to make somebody's death inspirational to others. I'm starting to get to the point where I'm thinking, is that wrong? Because you're essentially profiting in a, in a way off of somebody's death. You're using somebody's death as inspiration for other people to support a cause. Is that inherently bad? Because in a in a vacuum, you might say no, but at the same time, it's hard. I, I'm starting to get to the point where I don't I feel manipulated almost to be like, "Hey, here's somebody who died. Be inspired by them." Don't tell me who I want to be inspired by. I find inspiration on my own. Thank you. Don't try to force this girl to be inspirational to me. Because guess what? Not in this movie she ain't. Maybe the real girl was. This girl isn't. No, she's a hyperactive 10-year-old. Only she's supposed to be 18. That's not inspirational. That's annoying. <laughs> so yeah, this movie does a terrible job of presenting this girl as someone to be inspired by. And then when she's dead, they try to, t- they try to make her death inspirational. So was she just average in normal life? Like, what is, this, what is so inspiring about this generic... Corn-fed white girl. What is so inspiring about her life? That's why I would rather have a 30 for 30. Because they would go into the actual kid's life. Instead of trying to make her out to be this Jesus-y figure. Which is, which is the other thing about this movie. I thought based on the fact that the guy did Soul Surfer. Which is specifically about, uh, which is specifically about a girl's faith. Helping her through tragedy. That this was also going to be a religious movie. God is brought up twice in this whole movie. 
once when William Hurt thinks God, once once William Hurt isn't hearing the God thing because he lost both his wife and his daughter, and then he goes to church later on and rediscovers Jesus, and then it's never brought up again. Is this movie trying to be religious? No. Then why are you bringing up that? Is that important to the plot? If it was, it's not in this draft of the script. Apparently there were different drafts of the script where religion was more important at one point, but it's not anymore. So here's two references to Jeebus. I want to understand this movie's point. If the point was to make Caroline found an inspirational person, they should have made her the main character in the movie. They should have centered on her as a character and not as a figure. If this movie was just about this volleyball team, well then for one thing, Sean McNamara should have learned how to film volleyball matches. Sean McNamara can't film a volleyball match to save his life. All of the volleyball matches in this movie look like crap. They look like somebody who has no idea how to film a sports match, period. Look, think of it this way. Battle of the Sexes was about tennis. The filmmakers knew how to shoot a tennis match to make it look exciting and energizing and dynamic. Perfect example. I don't care much about racing. For uh, Ron Howard made a movie about Formula One racing... Specifically, the rivalry between Ethan Hunt... Ethan Hunt? No. Uh, Sam Hunt. What, what? It was a Hunt. Who was the Hunt? Uh, Rush was the movie. But, um... And, uh... It was, uh... Nicky Lauda... James Hunt. I knew it was Hunt. Ethan Hunt is from uh, Mission Impossible. But, yeah. Nicky Lauda and James Hunt. It's about their rivalry. And damn if Ron Howard doesn't know how to shoot racing to make it look Amazing. That is probably some of the best racing sequences I've ever seen put to film as in Rush. And this movie could have gotten by if they knew how to film a volleyball match to make it look great. I don't know how you do that. I don't know much about volleyball. All I do know is Sean McNamara didn't make money. The volleyball matches look like crap. They, he looked like a, 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 one of the high school students tried to film the volleyball match to make it exciting. For his media studies class. That's what it looks like in this movie. So yeah. I, I, I don't know what else to say about this movie. I was more interested in discussing the, uh, the idea of it's making somebody's life an inspiration to others. And using that to make some kind of hashtag or movement or make some kind of commodity to be sold to people is, is, is ethical or not. Because this movie has no, there's no reason to talk about this movie. If it had to do with Jesus, that would give this movie more of a point. Then it would be about inspiration through faith. That would give it a reason to exist. As of now, they they try to corn they try to crowbar in a uh, a a feminist message saying you're all strong women win this game for yourselves. They try to crowbar in the Caroline found as an inspiration to others. They have no idea what to do with this story. So, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know you, Caroline found. I don't know your family or your friends. I don't know if you'll ever hear this review. All I'm going to say is she deserved a better movie. Give it, make, give it to one of the 30 for 30 people. Make that into a, make a documentary out of that. 
I'd watch that. That would be that would probably be way more inspirational than the schlock that they peddled with this. Hey. So yeah, miracles overall. Uh, the miracle season. I'm I'm sure the actual Caroline Fountain was inspiring in her own way, but whatever the it, whatever was interesting about her or her team was never put on screen. Also, I get that it's about volleyball players, but there was an excessive amount of young girls in short shorts in this movie. Like, a, a, a genuinely excessive amount. Even when they're not in uniform, there's shots of these girls in short shorts. And it's not... It's never, like, sexual in a way, but at the same time, it's like, hey, we're gonna, sh- we're gonna have all these girls in short shorts throughout the whole movie. Even though it's not sexual, it still feels really weird. I feel like I should not have been there. I feel like I, I feel like I should have not been. I feel like I should not have been privy to that movie because why are there so many young girls in short shorts? That just feels weird. Anyway, uh, that about does it for the reviews this week. We'll be right back for a discussion on the sex comedy as a genre. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the Gummy Cat Network. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying Initially, I was actually planning to do another Magnificent Sevens, but uh, there were way too many sex comedies that I haven't seen that I would need to watch, plus the ones I need to re-watch in order to determine what I believe are definitively my seven favorite of the genre. So uh, in, instead, I'm just going to talk about the genre in and of itself. Um, I'm not sure what would be the first sex comedy. Uh, let me see. Uh, apparently there were sex comedies going all the way back to Greek theater. And, of course, and go, leading up to, uh, leading up through all kinds of theater. Uh, the, Amer- the first, it looks like the earliest, um, American film sex comedy is... Producer Film Moon's Blue challenged the most... Film historian Tamar Jeffers McDonald highlights the period from 1953 to 65 as an era where sex comedy came to be the main form of romantic comedy in Hollywood. Okay, and that's the era of Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, Pillow Talk, Irma LaDuce, Seven Year Itch, Gentlemen Prefer Blood, a lot of Marilyn Monroe movies. Uh, oh, that, duh, that's what, Doris Day and Marilyn Monroe were the kind of main sex figures at the time. Uh, so yeah, the 50s seemed to be a big time, and then the 80s, after the after the success of National Lampoon's Animal House really brought it back into fashion with things like Revenge of the Nerds, Screwballs, uh, Porky's, Spring Break, Bachelor Party. 
And even there was even a big push after the success of something about Mary and American Pie that led to a big string of sex comedies in America in the late in the two thousand during the two thousands. Uh, I can't be apparently about that same period, fifties and sixties. Britain Brit, Britain had their own uh, had their own was starting to re- make that a viable genre in film. But yeah, uh, as far as American yeah, as far as American sex comedies go, that's always there's always been a major issue I've had with them. Not more now, but I mean, initially I just never found them that funny. Like the stuff I found funny about Animal House and Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Dazed and Confused had nothing to do with the sex and more to do with the characters. Like the sex stuff was I wouldn't like that's the thing. The thing is, I'm not asexual, but I am. I am. I don't. I don't have that high of a libido, so to speak. Not to get too personal, but um, I just don't find like the stuff I find attra- attra- attractive and and titillating and engaging doesn't come from stuff like sex comedies. It comes more from like characters and you know, Pete writing comes from actresses who have give these solid performances like um like i find mary elizabeth winstead attractive and i think that had to do with the fact that the the character she played with ramona has solidified her as someone i'm attracted to but that had more to do with ramona but i also was more familiar with ramona from the comics which has given a much better deal <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i don't the sex comedy i didn't find it all that sexy and, I mean, it, it, it was obviously sexy because people were. That's what the. That's what is mainstream heteronormative sexuality. That that is what they find attractive. But I never found that engaging, titillating. Like, oh, we gotta watch this. You know, it feels like if I, I. I think the thing was, I grew up in an era where porn was pretty readily available through the means of the internet. If I wanted to watch something sexy and hot, I didn't need a Hollywood movie to do that i could just you know watch it online like if i wanted something sexy and erotic i'd go to the internet i don't need that i like unless you got something else for me if you're just gonna show me boobs then i can get boobs online especially with the advent of broadband internet and dsl cable and whatnot it's we're not in the the days of dial-up i could see that still being major i think that was even addressed in american pie but like, and that's the other thing too is that the genre, in retrospect, and part of the which is the more which is the more intellectual me reason why I don't find the genre that all, all that compelling, is that it's really misogynistic. Like, I think the main my main thing is I don't find them funny. Like the jokes are inherently unfunny, and it's all farcical and sitcommy. In the sense that it's all based on, oh no, this is a terrible misunderstanding. And it's like, please stop forcing this. This isn't funny. This is so not funny. And that even blockers suffered a lot from that. Even when they were trying to be, uh, trying to comment on the, on the fact that what they're doing is stupid. They're still going ahead with the stupid thing. Because they know that's the only reason people watch the genre. Sadly. Besides the boobs. Which, surprisingly, Blockers had more male frontal nudity 
than it did uh, female frontal nudity. And um, actually, I had more male nudity in general because there, there was male, like even the even the fe- like even the females. Most of the females were were in like negligees and lingerie. It was the dudes that got full on naked, <laughs> uh, which I guess is better. Which I guess is you know, hey, better. It's better because it's more equal opportunity. But it's uh, the sex stuff is more subtextual. It's more it's more plot related than it is like actually trying to show like titillation and sex, you know? Um, it's, uh, it, yeah, it, 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 but it ultimately the genre in and of itself has always been misogynistic because it always portrays, uh, guys needing to lose their virginity while girls had to maintain their virginity. And once again, as I brought up in the review, virginity is a concept we created to give women value. And we gave it to men to devalue them. Men are devalued by not being, quote-unquote, by not, by still being, quote-unquote, virgins. Like, the whole thing with the 40-year-old virgin, they made losing his virginity a big deal to the point, like, oh, oh. Uh, for better, for a better um, breakdown of the problems with the 40-year-old virgin, go to Fishnet Cinema, look up Jordan's uh, review of it. She breaks it down perfectly. On how te- on how ba- on how um, um, I think that's her. I think that was where I think that's where I saw it. I said just about to quote her on that. I believe. Um, where is it? Where is it? Maybe it was on Twitter that I saw it. Um, I want to read her Belko experiment. I wonder what she thought. Uh I am not... I think it may have been her commenting it on it on Twitter or something then. Because I'm not seeing it on her website. Still, at the same time, go follow Fishnet Cinema. Oh, maybe it was in the Moralistic Mistakes of Trainwreck that she commented on it. That must be it. Anyway, go check out Fishnet Cinema. Uh, go go check out Jordane. I love her stuff. Uh, she's much more qualified than I uh, on talking about these things. But... Um, yeah, that's the whole thing. It's, the 40-year-old virgin is about a guy giving up his passions and his loves in life because apparently girls aren't into, you know, collectibles and nerdy things. Girls don't like you to have passions. It's, yeah, it's very, it's very um, demeaning. The idea, also the, the idea, that, oh, he's a virgin. He collects comic book action figures. Wow. Like, in retrospect, the 40-year-old version is very demeaning and uh, insulting. Uh, uh, it's very... It, it, it feels... Because that's the thing. Nerds have sex. Nerds can and also... Like, wasn't the whole point of Revenge of the Nerds is... Oh, no. Revenge of the Nerds is terrible because that's a, that's a whole rape scene in it. Yeah. it Which is the whole thing. That's the other thing is... Because not only is it the whole idea of virginity as a concept that it continues to perpetuate, it's it's the idea it, it's it's this whole notion that men it's cool it's hey guys are just having fun trying to you know sexually harass and at one point even rape a woman in the case of Revenge of the Nerds and Porky's there's a whole, the whole sequence was sticking your dick through a shower room wall to harass women. Like, yeah, these, this genre, in retrospect, is kind of awful. 
But hey, it's it's cool because you know guys will be got you know boys will be boys. They're just horny and having fun. No, no, that's stupid. You can get around that, but and I, I think that's kind of my thing with the genre is. I mean, overall, I just don't find the writing all that... It feels like it relies too much on the idea of sex will sell this movie than wanting to try and tell funny sto- tell funny jokes or be meaningful in any way. But yeah, the sex comedy seems to be like the male version of the romantic comedy, where which is another thing Jordan covers. Uh, what's the... What's, what's her podcast called? Um... I subscribe to it, you would think I would remember it. It is Bad Romance Pod, P0D, on Twitter. And it's her and Bronwyn Isaac, another, uh, I believe she's also a writer, filmmaker, um, writer, comedian. uh, But the two of them discuss uh, romantic comedy, bad romantic comedies. Uh, well, romantic films, period. Romance is a genre. Bad romance films. But, um... But, yeah, they'll often cover romantic comedies. And... Um... And they'll break down what's wrong... All, all the kind of stuff with, that's wrong with romantic comedies. But a lot of those problems for, that are inherent within the romantic comedy when it's aimed at women... Sex com- The sex comedy in America seems to be that but for men. So for men, the idea of the romantic comedy is sex-focused. Whereas for women, it's relationship-focused. Which has all kinds of implications right there. But, I, but yeah, the, the, whole, the whole genre is kind of reeked of misogynistic behavior and ideology since its inception, for the most part. Like, even old classic ones, like... Uh, uh, was was it gentleman? No, some like it hot was the one where Tony Curtis and um, Jack Lemmon are in drag to be with the to be with these sexy women in a band. Yeah, some like it hot, and the whole thing was, and the whole thing had to do with like even though the uh, final line is fairly prescient, like. The guy doesn't care that he the woman he's in love with is 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 just a man in drag. They it's it's still kind of center. It's still kind of you know acted like men in drag was a joke, and I, I have to revisit it to see how it holds up. But yeah, that that's been a ma- that's been a whole thing that's plagued the sex comedy genre is the idea that it's still. But still holding up these very Victorian I- ideals of sexuality and um, promiscuity. Ultimately, it's st- and not, not, if, nothing, if nothing else, it's whole. It, I mean, I say that in the means of like virginity. That that's where I call back to Victorian eras. The, that's why I say it's very Victorian ideals. But at the same time, it's also very heteronormative ideals, like. There aren't a lot of gay or even any anywhere on the Kinsey spectrum levels of of sex comedy for the, out there. I mean, if they're out there, they're usually independent. That's the whole thing. If you made a sex comedy, but it centered on either lesbian sex, gay sex, or even bisexual sex, it um, 
they would it, it, people wouldn't want apparently wouldn't want to see that because the whole point of the sex comedy is it's the romantic comedy for men. So to make it about something other than the heteronormative idea of sex would mean to would mean this film wouldn't work for people. And I think that's I think that's limiting. I think the only way to push the genre forward is to allow for more like that's the whole thing sexuality gender identity all that has been progressing forward in the discuss in the discourse and sex comedies i've still never quite gotten out of that old mindset of the heteronormative idea and even though blockers tries to sprinkle in some stuff of um denouncing the idea that these women's virginity need to be protected and having one of the characters be um deal with coming out of the closet it still relies on the on these old ideas of sex and attraction. Like it's still never like the only thing that the gay couple do in the movie is kiss. So it's not like they it's not like they even establish that they form a relationship. It's just there to act like oh hey look at us aren't we progressive? We added the gay character. At least with Love Simon. It established the relationship between them, you know? Like, that's why Love, Simon is a way better idea, a way better queer story than Blockers is going to be remembered for. Like, maybe there, are pe- there will be people who are like, oh, hey, remember that queer, that lesbian subplot in Blockers? Yeah, that was handled poorly. <laughs> so, I guess my question is, at this point, do we even need sex comedies? Like, I get why they exist. They exist because they sell. People apparently still go out to see sex comedies. Although let's let's take a look. I'm curious how Blockers did this weekend. Quiet Place delivers 19 million Friday debut, looking at a 46 million dollar uh, debut. Ready Player One is still in there. Blockers came in 21,000. Bare. So it looks like their weekend made back their budget, and they just need to double that in order to. Start making a profit. So if we look at... So then let's... Can we compare that to other sex comedies? R-rated, opening weekends. Yeah, I think that's the problem is that... The the sex comedy isn't exactly a recognized genre. It's still just considered a comedy. Um, But yeah, more people went to see A Quiet Place. Oh my god. A Quiet Place made fifty million opening weekend, seventy-one million worldwide, including foreign uh, the foreign box office, and that was on a budget of seventeen million. It cost it cost less to make A Quiet Place than it did Blockers, and A Quiet Place did way better. That's really interesting. Uh, that's really interesting to look at. I'm glad. I'm glad that. The, that a quiet place is doing so well. I don't usually talk about block op, block block the box office, but um, yeah, uh, it's yeah blockers doesn't seem to be doing too hot. I think that's the whole thing is that they haven't really innovated the sex comedy in a way to make it relevant. Like it's still fairly archaic as a genre. Uh, we'll see. I don't think, um, I don't know if you could, would call I Feel Pretty a sex comedy. I think that's still fairly romantic, just a romantic comedy. 
But yeah, it's um, it it really I don't think it's as viable a genre as it used to be, and I think people like me, not for the same reasons I do, but I think people are just kind of tired of the sex comedy. They haven't really done anything with it, and people have kind of grown up as uh, overall. They they uh they 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 are kind of done with this whole thing and you got they want something better they want more from this so we'll see if blockers has staying power they may just drop out entirely especially since five movies are going to be coming out this weekend um because that's the thing sex is always going to be a selling point for people that's just the nature of the beast people have libidos they are what sex sells a thing it's the whole reason why carl's jr still uses those misogynistic commercials to sell burgers because they know dudes are horny They'll, they'll, all they'll remember is, hey, Carl's Jr. had that really sexy commercial. I'm only for Carl's Jr. So, I mean, like, I feel like, but I feel like since Blockers isn't doing too hot, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's kind of a sign that, what was the last sex comedy before Blockers? Let me see. Um, I think the last successful one was the 40-Year-Old Virgin. I think that had more to do with Judd Apatow behind it than anything else. What was the last um, sex comedy to come out? Um, I know um, I know there was Sex Tape when I used to do the... When I, uh, which was in 2014 when I was still trying to go by The Solitary Nerd. How did that do? How did Sex Tape do? That's going back to 2014. There's got to be something before then. Um, sex tape was 38 million overall on a 40 million. Oh, oh wow! It, it although it made more back in the foreign markets. I think that's because of Cameron Diaz. Um, but yeah, it couldn't even make back its budget in the states. Uh, let me check my lists. Um, was there anything in 2017? Father, father, that's not really a sex comedy. It's more of like a sitcom. Um, no, it doesn't doesn't really look like it. Uh, check twenty sixteen. Maybe something there. Uh, popped up. Don't apply. I'm just ashamed of you. I'm ashamed of you for you. Let's go beauty party. I guess sausage party counts as a sex comedy. Um. Yeah, I'm not, nothing stood out enough to even get mentioned on my lists the last couple of years. So let's take a look at Sausage Party. I guess that's the last really major sex, uh, sex comedy to come out. That did all right, I think. But I think that got more uh, out of the um, 
the idea that it's food being gross and sexual than anything else. I think it was the I think that's the whole reason it did as well as it did. It almost grossed a hundred million domestically, over a hundred a uh, hundred forty million worldwide. So yeah, I think it only did that just because of the novelty of it, that it's it's cartoon food being sexual. So that's so yeah, just regular sex comedies, they aren't really doing it for people, it looks like. I don't think people are really drawn to them anymore. Maybe in other countries, but especially here in the States, it doesn't look like they draw in. You have to do something more with it. Uh, it seems like. And I feel like the idea, the best thing to do would be to establish other sexualities. Get out of the heteronormative mindset and to make sex comedies about lesbians, gay people, bisexual people, you know, pansexual people. People who are who are people who are transitioning, maybe or have transitioned. Uh, pe- you know, people people who don't identify as a gender, non-binary people. Like make sex comedies about other aspects of sexuality instead of the heteronormative. Instead of making it just heteronormative sex, or even you know the more openly esta- openly accepted gay and lesbian sex. You know, let's go out, be wild, be creative, do more. You know? I think that'd be way more interesting. Like a sex comedy having to do with, you know, bisexual people. Where it's, where it's like having, you know, having sex with both people. Why not? Why are you limiting yourself to this heteronormative mindset? So, yeah. Uh, I guess in conclusion, sex comedies are a, pro- a problematic genre in and of themselves. And if they want to stick around, I feel like they need to move beyond the old formulas... And to try new things, and to be more innovative and creative, and to stop relying on the old tropes of the genre, and do something new, like the like whether it's you do doing a sex comedy with cartoon food, or if it's just doing something, something new, something we haven't seen already. That's the only way the genre is going to be viable anymore. So yeah, uh, sex comedies. Uh, let me know if you. Uh, are into the genre at all? What are some of your favorites? Or if you agree with me that it's kind of a, it's kind of not of a great genre in and of itself. There's a lot of bad implications within it. So yeah, let me know at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that about does it for the discussion. So we're going to head into some trailer talk. And I did not realize we were expecting another um, super mega awesome movie review madness for the next weekend but we've got five new releases slated to come out over next weekend first up uh one i didn't catch at all but is listed as a wide release through uh the numbers.com borg McEnroe. so let's check it out looks like some kind of tennis thing i'm pretty sure mac i've heard mcenroe in reference to it's tennis the perfect rivalry the baseline player and the net rusher shia labeouf the sweet who at only 24 could make history by winning his fifth wimbledon who's that can mcenroe pull borg from his throne arthur the only thing standing between borg and that record is you you and borg are as different as two people could possibly be is he backstage or something? Is he gonna like jump out of the cage? 
McEnroe is the bigger talent, but playing Borg is like being hit by a sledgehammer. How does it feel knowing you'll make history if you win your fifth Wimbledon? I'm just like uh, anybody else. I'm not a machine. First truly great tennis That's a statement. You were warning for unsportsmanlike behavior. What do you have to say about your behavior? Let's talk about tennis. Does anybody have any tennis questions? Do you expect anyone to root for you in the final against Borg? Look, I, I get that uh, you got your hero, you know, your gentleman, Borg, and you need a villain. Shut up! You don't understand what it takes to play tennis. Where people are talking more you know about You know, I go out there and I give everything for this game? Everything. Everything in me gets left out on that court. And none of you understand it because none of you do it. That's actually a pretty decent performance from Shia. I hope this. Right now, I could, I'd be happy for a comeback from Shia this, if he given performances like this. He on the same court. He rents the same car. He sleeps in the same room. What is that? You will never be remembered as one of the greats. You know why? Because nobody likes you. The only thing people are gonna say is you cannot be serious. That crazy guy who always yelled at the umpire. See, the funny thing is, I know about McEnroe more than I know about John Borg. I have never heard about John Borg until now. So I'm more familiar with the guy, with that guy than the one I'm supposed to know. Can either man take any more punishment? Who else in this? I recognize the one guy from something. He kind of looks like Michael Fassbender. But I don't think that's him. Let me just say, Borg versus McEnroe. Um, I don't recognize him. Sverir Goodnesson. And, oh, Shellen Skarsgård's in this, too. Um, Sverir Goodnesson is... Uh, is... Uh, oh, oh, he's going to be playing Mikhail Blomqvist, Blomqvist in the next... Uh, uh, girl with the Dragon Tattoo movie, The Girl in the Spider's Web, where they've got Claire Foy as uh, Alicia v- uh, not, as not Alicia Vikander. Uh, that's an actri- act- actress, Lisbeth Salander. And, uh, so I'm interested to see that. I, I was really hoping that um, that uh, Fincher's uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was going to lead to a series, but it, sadly it didn't lead anywhere. Apparently, he was in the Circle. Monica Z, a lot of Swedish films. So this will be like my my first real introduction to him because I don't remember him at all in the circle. Uh, and I hope good. And it looks like Shia LaBeouf is going to give a good performance, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, that's supposed to be coming out wide this weekend. Next up, we've got Rampage. No longer released on 420 Blaze. It they pushed it back a week. Let's check it out. I rescued George. He was two years old. He's not just a friend. He's family. Don't move a muscle. Are you crazy? Don't move! Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Very funny. You and I laughing at your joke. New guy. He no laugh. He cry. You can get up now. And check your diaper. Come on. Let's go. See, I still think they should have done... The whole thing from the games where the people become the monsters. It would be a great, like, Jekyll and Hyde sort of story where the people are like, what the hell keeps happening to me? Why are the government, why is the government taking me? And then they'll, then all of a sudden, convert, revert into giant monsters. 
Then you'll have like the bad one versus the good one. You have kind of like a kind of like almost how Colossal turned out. What's happening to my friend? Are you familiar with genetic editing? Changes will be incredibly unpredictable. Increased strength, speed, agility. No! Where's George? I need to see him. He is dangerous. You think it's time for me to turn the man around? We're gonna die! Probably! <laughs> We've created the next chapter in natural selection. Project Rampage works. Another one of your little science experiments running around. What do you mean another one? Because Jeffrey Dean Morgan, uh, who was Negan recently in The Walking Dead, of course the wolf flies. It's time we throw everything we can at these things and get people the hell out of that city. Let's go save the world. That's a big arm. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. There are other ways of dealing with people, right? I do know that, yeah, but that's not fun. <laughs> okay, this looks like fun. This is what I was hoping for out of this. George, you okay? Ready to do this, buddy? See, now it feels like a Pokemon movie where Dwayne Johnson is controlling uh, the controlling the ape. When I feel like it would be more fun if Dwayne Johnson became like you could do like a Hulk thing, stuff like that. That would be fun. That's what the games were like. But eh, whatever. Um, who was that actress though? Uh, we've got Jeffrey Dean Moore. That's Matt. Okay, that's why Matt Ackerman, Joe Mangiel, Joe Manganel, Joe Mangan, Joe Manganiello is in here too. Uh, and Naomi Harris, cool. Uh, Manganiello being, um, uh, being from uh, Pee Wee's Big Holiday and Magic Mike Double XL as Big Dick Richie. So, uh, apparently he's also on Critical Role, which is cool. Uh, he was also on True Blood as Alcide Herdeville. So, um, this, will, this should be fun. Uh, I'm interested to see how this... What was the one thing I saw him in recently? Um, he was Hefty Smurf. That's what it was. Oh, and he played... He was on Celebrity D&D. Uh, which is something I'm not familiar with. I think it's another Alpha series. Jessica Chobot, Matt Mercer. Um, and apparently, like, uh, celebrities are going to be, uh, play, they're, like, all the all the players are celebrities. Which, so, which I want to check out. I'll see, see if that's any good. Um, but yeah, Rampage. I, I hope for good things. I would really like good things from it. If it's, if it's the dumb kind of fun we got in this trailer, I'll be happy. Next up, Sergeant Stubby, an American hero. How's it this dog get in here? Get out! Get out of here! We have Fun Academy motion pictures. <laughs> At least he's ready. Find a new buddy, Conroy? The sergeant wanted a mascot. Give the unit a different look. A different smell, too. Hey, no! Discover an unlikely hero. Guess it's better to have every man and every dog we can get in this fight. Well done, soldier. Thank you, Sergeant. I was talking to the dog. Embark on an adventure. What are we going to be doing? That's coming! 
that they find a century. Now you Americans are here, it will be over soon. Wounded! Coming to my next man! We must story. not let down our guard. The dog is trying to warn us! Of courage and friendship. Get down! I wish I had half his courage. Courage? It's not courage. I think this war has just improved. Thank you, Stubby. You could all learn something from him. You are our hero, Stubby. Helena Bottom Carter, Logan Lerman, and Gerard Depadou. So, I think this movie will be fine, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, that voice acting, it's, it's pretty bad. It's not very good. Who else is in this? Uh, Jordan Beck, Jason Ezel. Whoever is doing the, uh, who's ever doing the, uh, the, the uh, drill sergeant is really bad. Like he 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 feels like he's trying to do an impression of somebody, but I don't know what. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I still think uh, Fun Academy is right up there with Entertainment Studios as one of the dumbest like computer generated names for a studio I've ever seen. But we'll see. Uh, it may it could be good. So we'll, uh, we'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, next up, one I've been dreading this whole year, Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. Are you aware that Olivia is in love with your boyfriend? Hey. No, she's not. Can you stop? Uh, Penelope. Dare. Make out with Olivia. Let's get this party started. Oh. Tight. Carter. Truth. What are your intentions with our sweet Olivia? I needed to find someone with friends that I could trick into coming here. I could tell Olivia was an easy target. I brought you all up here because I'm okay with strangers dying if it means I get to live. Wow, this is so stupid. Is real. What adult plays you. truth or dare? Find you. Like, I get having it as a drinking game, but at the same time, like... This feel, like, it feels like something teenagers would do. Are these supposed to be teenagers? Like, even in college, I couldn't imagine playing truth or dare with people. Oh, come on. I'm serious. I'm seeing things. Truth or dare. Also, what's with the Joker smile? Just a little. This fine young lady here dared me to show you my business. Seen it before. Not impressed. Carter said, tell the truth or you don't. Also, a white guy who says business should be punched directly in the business. You die. We're not playing the game. It's playing us. So what do we do? Only choose truth. Marky's constantly cheating on Lucas. Lucas, wait. I'm sorry. Touch me again and I'll break that hand. Truth. That's not how this works. Only the game decides. Break Olivia's hand. You have to do it. Look as pissed as I am at you right now. There's no way I'm gonna break your hand. Well, you don't really have a choice. God, just do it. Yeah, this whole thing is so stupid. We need to find what started all this. 
How do we get out of this game alive? You can't. It only ends when all the players are dead. And your turn's next. Dare me to choose which one of you to kill. God, it's so stupid. Truth or dare. And the Joker smile like... This can't have been taken seriously. It can't. There's no way this they they did this seriously, right? Oh, oh man. Just outright awful stuff here. And I can't wait to mock every second of it with my nephew. We're going to have a blast. And then the last one to come out is actually an expansion. It's an expansion wide of Wes Anderson's next latest uh, stop motion picture, Isle of Dogs. Let's let's check it out. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi or Nagasaki? Because Nagasaki makes sense. But if they're calling it Megasaki, that feels really... Because Mega's uh, an American, is an English word. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. Same here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're King. You're Duke. You're Boss. I'm Chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. Atari Kobayashi, you heroically hijacked a junior turboprop XJ750 and flew it to the island because of your dog. Darn it. I've got a crush on you. That feels so weird, especially since it turns out that woman's like in her 20s. We get the idea. You were looking for your lost dog spots. Does anybody know him? Who is the actress? I've lost all of my pride. Spots if he's alive. Greta Gerwig, who just made Lady Bird. Prisoner. Somebody is up to They something. made Greta Gerwig say, play a 17 year old who says she's in love with a 10 year old. It's so weird. Why should I? Because he's a 12 year old boy. Dogs love those. We'll find him. Wherever he is, if he's alive. We'll find your I guess 12-year-old, not 10. It's going to be a fight. Or somebody spoke his language. Aren't you Japanese? Shouldn't you understand Japanese? Like, I get you have American accents, but... Your, your dog's from Japan! North, a long rickety causeway over a noxious sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. Great. Got it. Get ready to jump. Yeah, I'm... I am not sure about this. I've already heard some... Um, some feedback about it being... Uh, about it being kind of uh, not out, out out and out racist, but it feels very much like a West 
a Westerner's interpretation of um, Japanese culture. And yeah, you don't get much more you know, white and American than Wes Anderson, so... It'll be interesting, to say the least. We'll have to wait and see. This will be my first time seeing it. Uh, this will be my first time seeing it. It's been in limited release uh, uh, for the most part. This and now, and um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what I think. It also gives me a chance to go check out Fantastic Mr. Fox and compare the two. So uh, I'll be sure to do that. Uh, so that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast. You're most likely listening to us through our homepage at GumpyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite that page. And be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. I've been really bad about um, editing on uh, Tragic Missile. I've completely fallen off the, off the boat on that one. And I need to get back on it. But, uh, you know... Unemployment will do that to you. Kind of send you in a funk, and when you're and you're more worried about, uh, you know, paying the bills. So, uh, hopefully, I'll find find a find a gig so I can keep affording to go to the movies, and uh, hopefully, I'll I'll be I'll be able to get over my hump and finish editing Tragic Missile and get that series back and running. But in the meantime, be sure to check out all the other fine programming we have, all the, all the Snarkcast stuff like uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Um, the, the family business once more with feeling um, be sure to check us out um, Mike is working on the next episode of Mountie Day which should be out pretty soon and uh, yeah we got and we're hoping to do more with the network and if you yourself host your own podcast and you're unaffiliated and would like to join our young fledgling network and help make it and help uh, help it grow uh, you can do so by sending uh, sending your information to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Uh, but for us, uh, if you don't want to go through the website, you can always search through your various podcast providers. We're on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, we're also on Spotify now, thanks to Libsyn. But um, we haven't been able, I haven't been able to expand it to Spreaker. They want me to pay for hosting on there because, of, because I have over 100 episodes. Uh, so we'll hold off on that until this because until uh, we can uh, until I can afford to expand. But uh, whatever your podcast provider you have, as long as they have access to either iTunes or Google Play, you should be able to listen to the podcast there. Be sure to leave a five star rating and review to let people know, hey, you like this thing. And if you want to share it through your various social media, you can do so and follow us there on facebookcom junkie. That'll be the main hub. Of information about the podcast. That's where all the new episodes come out. That's where I announce uh, when I when I'm seeing a new release and what my thoughts on it are. That's where I announce uh, when I'm about to stream on Twitch. All of that stuff happens through the Facebook page, and it's where you can also share that information to your friends. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Corn Junkie Pod, and in there you'll get the Facebook feed. Plus, you'll get to join in my trailer talk segments there, as well as. Follow my munchalongs, which are where I comment on a movie as I'm watching it. The last one was for Miracle Season this week. I don't know if there'll be one for this one this week. Uh, if I get Fantastic Mr. Fox, I'll be sure to do a munchalong for that one. But, uh, yeah, if you want to follow me there, that's where I'm most active is on Twitter. And if you want to have talk with me there, that's, that's you just followed Corn Junkie Pod. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, and that's where the main stuff for the Facebook feed is posted. New episode announcements, 
uh, when I'm seeing a new release, and links to the Stardust at, Stardust reviews are all through Instagram. And I still need to find more to do with it, so I'm much more active on it. But if you want to join me on Instagram, you can do so by following at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. And speaking of Stardust, if you're if you haven't found out already, there is a there is a there's an app that allows you to watch and film uh, reactions to whatever's out there, film, TV, episodes, whatever. And you can do so uh, by downloading the Stardust app. And you can follow me at Popcorn Junkie. You, uh, you can fo- I, I know um, Double Toasted is on there. Uh, Corey Coleman runs the Double Toasted account. Uh, Corey Goodwin is on there. Martin Thomas, I don't think, is on there. He may be. Uh, but uh, Jeremy Johns is on there. The Schmoes No Guys are on there. There's a whole bunch of people. Regal Movies is on there. They have people film stuff for for as reviews for their movie for movies, which I wonder. I doubt it goes under three stars because I don't think Regal Cinemas does wants to people to think, oh, this is a terrible movie. You shouldn't come to pay for it at a Regal Cinemas, you know. But uh, you can follow them if you want. They have the prescience to be like. Hey, we're on the Stardust app as well, talking about movies. So if you want to, if you want to film your own thoughts or just watch what other people think, you can join us over on Stardust and follow me at Popcorn Junkie. And like I mentioned, uh, every Saturday I stream on Twitch. It's been in the evenings lately, just because I've had plans during the day. But uh, we should be at our normal time on uh, on this week uh, for this weekend. And we just finished Mega Man. And I've started to started something that's more familiar to me. I've started playing Broforce again, and it's I'm having the time of my life. And I'm gonna play through the main story of Broforce now that it's a full fledged game. And I'm still going through um, uh, the Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy. Uh, we're mostly through the game, which should be finished within a couple of weeks. And then we're also, and then I've also been doing a Nuzlocke for Pokemon Platinum. Technically, it's a wedlock, which I still don't quite understand the feedback, the uh, mechanics for. But uh, I'm doing the best I can. You can join me over on twitch.tv slash popcornjunkie, P-W-H, short for plays with himself. Still need to get that YouTube channel up and running, but we'll have to wait. But, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to do video reviews and... Let's plays on the channel, but once again, that's all time consuming, and I need to have stuff at the ready to get to for it to be for it to get going. And I don't know. Uh, I'll look into. I'll look into what. Uh, and hey, if you yourself would like to see video reviews on a YouTube channel, let me know through Popcorn Junkie Podcast at gmail and I will be sure to look into that. And maybe I'll start up those old series again that I tried to do with the Solitary Nerd. Uh, just let me know. And uh, if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give on the episodes, corrections that I missed, that I made, on, on uh, mistakes that I made during the episode, or you know, give your own thoughts on what the, on the movies that I saw, then be sure to send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and I'll be sure to relay that either on the episode um, itself or if you just want to talk in private, you know, I'll, I can get back to you there. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey and I'm half expecting the next great horror movie to come from Kate McKinnon. song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. 
Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Oh my god, are you kidding me? Oh my god, don't mind that noise, hold on.